0: billing, not much about documentation as it relates to other things. okay, So in terms of objectives, first thing we're going to go through is just in general uh, history about the payment for emergency uh, physicians and kind of get to know some of the terms. And then uh, basically go through each of the evaluation and management codes and kind of give you guys an idea in terms of what kind of patient you see, what things you do, and Uh, where that falls in terms of level of care, and then afterwards we're going to talk about documentation as it relates to uh, the codes that you use. So let me just give you a few terms. This is not an exhaustive term. If you have other questions about other terms, I can uh, definitely ask me. But these are the ones that are relevant to our lecture. The first one is CPT codes, which stand for Current Procedural Terminology. Now these are just groups of like five m- like numbers. And they go through six major sections. And the ones that we really care about in emergency medicine are the evaluation and management codes, uh, namely the 99281 to 99285, the level one through five visits. Um, and, wh- and then there's the RVU, which is relative value unit, and basically it's kind of a, um, a way to measure a physician's work. And depending on the, and, um, the RVU is related to the CPT code in the sense that uh, basically the amount of work, for, like for level one is less work than a level five chart, they are assigned standard RVUs. And the last thing is, just for charting reasons, not for billing reasons, is uh, ICD-9. ICD-9 stands for International Classification of Diseases. And we're currently in our ninth uh, version of this. And this basically is a code that's assigned to the diagnosis that you give. Uh, In October 2014, we're going to transition to ICD-10. All right, how we get paid, so prior to 1992, it was something called UCR, Usual, Customary, and Reasonable Charges. So that basically meant that the doctor could charge whatever he thought was reasonable. So charge however more, however less, and things like that. Afterwards, it was codified in 1992 into what's called the RVU. So most of how we are paid are based on RVUs, so uh, Medicare, depend- um, CMS determines the RVUs, determines the conversion factors needed to uh, with these RVUs, which translates, which multiplies with the RVUs and translates to the payment. And this basically is a standard that is uh, put out by uh, how much Medicare pays and then other payers, other insurance companies, usually either just follows the same schedule, same billing schedule as the Medicare does, or they pay a percentage, either more or less. Some of the private payers pay more, as you can imagine, some of the uh, ones like, uh, I think, medi pay lower.
1: Question? Yeah. So what happens in 2014 <coughs> when the Accountable Care goes into effect? The capitation
0: bond. So that's a big question, because right now with the accountable care organizations, it's not quite, we're not quite so sure in terms of how emergency medicine will fall under that, just because uh, with the accountable care, it's basically treating some kind of c- condition and giving like a whole package deal, but then it still needs to be sorted out in terms of where emergency medicine falls into it. So RVU is a relative uh, va- um, value unit, uh, as I said, it's the universal metric of physician work, and there are three components that, uh, that make up the RVU. Okay? So when we talk about RVU, that's for the billing, it's the total RVU, but it consists of three things. First is the physician work, which includes cognit- the cognitive part of it and procedural part of it. Second part is practice expense, so all the kind of overhead costs that you have, and then lastly is the liability insurance. So kind of taking account of the risk that you take in terms of caring for a certain level patient, uh, and so that kind of factors in. And when you add those three things up, it comes up with the RVU total. And then the amount that you're reimbursed is factor uh, has two factors that are multiplied with the RVU, which comes up with how much you're paid. First is the gypsy, which is known as the geographic practice cost index and that varies in terms of where you're practicing and then there's also a conversion factor that uh, is adjusted by um, Medicare so for example this looks a little bit more complicated because a uh, gypsy factor is actually different for each of the parts of your RVU so for 99284 code which is a level 4 visit as you can see there's a specific RV um, uh, there's a specific uh, work RVU, practice expense RVU, liability insurance RVU, and these are each of the gypsy factors with it and e- equals 3.17 total RVUs which is uh, kind of modified by gypsy. And then with the $36 uh, conversion factor uh, it turns out to be $114.33. So basically, pra- uh, going back to the previous slide, practice expense is basically taking into account the overhead expense, so coding, billing, collections, payroll, and uh, support staff.
2: And how does the conversion factor change over any given situation? Like every year, they change it, or over?
0: They change it once in a while. Um, I I think uh, I mean with the recent uh, budget crisis, they've been trying to lower it. Uh, so. Uh, but recently it's been in the $34, $36 range. And as you can see, these are the most common codes we use for evaluation management, so level one through five, and then 99291 is the critical care codes. And then the last two uh, codes, I combined the two over here because this is what we usually do for uh, complex visits of observation patients, that you observe over through past midnight, so overnight, uh, and then this is if it was the same day. And as you can see, uh, there an observation. observation anywhere between six and twenty-four hours. So, but it's
1: six, you can do the daytime
0: one. yes, but uh, it does vary by insurance company. That standard is six to twenty-four. Sometimes some companies they say we only accept observation if it's beyond eight hours, something like that. So it's always be it's always under 24 hours because past 24 hours, it's counted as a full admission. So if, let's say it's like
2: 11 p.m. I'm like, I don't know where the observation, like, discharge him. I'm like, well, it's really close. Well, so we can well the thing the
0: is, the is, well, the obs- uh, observation patients, you have to plan ahead. So one that you already know, like sub- like a lot of us, we observe the chest pain patients over six hours. That is the type of patient which you have to document uh, prior to having that, the patient staying there the whole time, that you are doing the observation on the patient. Um, mm-hmm. So... just uh,
1: right, you can game a little bit. Because sorry? You, you can game the system a little bit because if you pick up patients at 9 p.m., you can in your head already know that if you're planning to keep them in the department four, right. you know, past midnight, then you can already know up front. I mean,
0: you can kind of... Yeah, game it a well, bit. you can... You, in the sense that you can't game it is the fact that depending on what your plan is. If the patient's going to be staying for like six, seven hours, but it's not, it's out of doing a diagnostic workup, such as a person who we have, like a lot of times we have patients who come in for abdominal pain, right? And we already know that the CT scans they are pretty slow and all that stuff, and we end up seeing a patient staying over six hours. Those patients, which we're mainly just looking to see what's going on, we can't bill for observation, okay? Some people may do it if they're unscrupulous, but then then technically if you're just doing it just to work something up, uh, you can't. However, on the other hand, if it's something that you've worked up and suppose like for a chest pain patient, you just need two sets of enzymes, you are uh, planning (coughs) on keeping them intentionally for that amount of time, or some, or if we observe for a person <coughs> with cellulitis and you're specifically saying you've diagnosed cellulitis and you want to look for that person to make sure that the person's improving over several hours, or like uh, what I do for trauma patients where we observe for six hours after a whole initial workup's done. That's when I intentionally uh, put that patient observation and then I know if the page if six hours is over past midnight, I'm gonna be doing the nine nine two two zero nine nine two one seven code. Sorry? Is that the night service no, one? No, this is a night 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 service one. The night service one I actually didn't put it in. It's uh nine nine zero five three. That's just and, because it's at night. Yeah. At night. And some companies actually don't reimburse for that. Sorry? So, There's a night code, so specifically, like, if you see patients from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m., you add on another code to extra, basically saying you saw this patient overnight. Oh, yeah, I yeah. just meant like, they don't reimburse you for that? So, yeah, some case. companies don't reimburse you for that. And then uh, here are some common things that we do, and they have the RVUs. And as you can see, going back to the previous slide, so, uh, you know, a 99285 is 4.93, so most of the patients we see are level 4.5s. So 3 and 4, and you can see reducing a dislocation are 6.63 RVUs. So procedures, well, it's just because in general the, mer- the health system culture is the fact that when you are actually able to do a procedure, they actually put, uh, I guess, favor procedures overthinking kind of thing. So you're doing an actual procedure, it does in- <laughs> entail some kind of risk, and that's why it's such high in terms of RVUs, and also takes time too.
2: So all those people who come in for like um, what do you call a paracentesis because they don't want to go to their primary care doc because they're too lazy, like we should be doing all those because we get reimbursement.
0: If you want to, yeah. You, 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 well, you can do our reimbursement, but the thing is, decide, I mean, like, a all said done, it would be yeah. You, know, you can do anything you want on the patient, but the thing is, you're you have government regulators who's going to look uh, to see whether what you've done has been justified or not.
1: How about procedural versus non? Reduction. Like C- procedural. Sedation, which procedural
0: that, so procedural uh, sedation is another code that you put okay. on, and and yeah, that's an additional abuse.
1: So so be a little bit, bit careful about gaming the, the, the system. system. There is a large hospital group that's under severe scrutiny and has lost the. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Ready. Ready. He owns all these contracts in all these hospitals, and he has traditionally built a lot of critical care. In, uh, in his hospitals and in his patients, um, are, in, in those hospitals, there, the critical care number of critical care um, codes were like 15 or 20 percent higher than hospitals like us in, in the neighboring yeah. hospitals, and yeah. so he was audited and they were just doing some crazy yeah. stuff there. I can go
0: through a whole lecture of the kind of regulatory companies that look at this sort of thing and try to... Basically, recover money for overbuilding. So, I would
1: say, whatever you do, make sure you get credit for it. Yeah. Yeah. But don't try to do more than is necessary.
0: Yeah. (coughs) So, Changing gears. um, Now I'm going to be talking about the specific codes and uh, basically what we use, and uh, and basically talking about each level of visit and what kinds of things you would uh, that would typically be billed for that level of care. So the most common EMM codes are level one through five visits, uh, 99281 to 99285, critical care, uh, which based the most. The initial critical care is between 30 and 74 minutes. That is 99291. If you go beyond that, for every 30 minutes, you put in 99292. And then, as I talked about, the, uh, uh, the observation codes. Now, there are other kinds of observation codes for like lower complexity. But given that you're in the emergency environment, we basically observe complex <laughs> patients. And so we usually just only um, use the high complexity observation codes. So, almost everyone in the emergency department has a level three, uh, uh, is a level 3 visit. Rarely uh, are there ones which are just level 1 and 2 visits. Urgent care, just to give you a perspective, usually uses level 3 visits. At, mo- like at most level 3 visits, they also see level 1 and 2 visits. In our emergency department, these are statistics from uh, for this year. As you can see, we see very few level 1s and 2s. Um, and then the majority of what we see consists of level 4s and 5s. What is the we follow? Is that a level 1? <laughs> uh, actually, I'm going to go through that in the next few slides. Is that, do you know, are those numbers pretty <laughs> typical
1: for an academic center like this or compared to
0: community? Or? I think it's pretty typical. So yeah. 40, 40, and 15 yeah. maybe? Yeah. So now I'm going to go through uh, basically the coding guidelines uh, for each level of care. And this is based off of, if you if you have any questions, like I had questions when I started off uh, working here and had to do my own billing, I basically went off of these uh, facility level coding guidelines. So you can just put that in the Google search and you will get to a website where we'll show you examples of things that you would typically do for a particular visit, uh, kinds of diagnoses that kind of fit into a particular level um, to give you a sense in terms of uh, what, uh, what kind of billing that you should typically do for a patient that you see. So these are only guidelines, of course. Sometimes we see the unusual patient with the stub toe, so it might not necessarily be just a level one visit, but these are just in general guidelines. If you have questions, just let me know. So, 99281 is a level one visit, it's a very self-limited minor uh, visit, so if a patient basically came and ran out of medications for me- and needed just a medication refill, no workup whatsoever, not complain of any pain, everything's under control. If they just need a note for work or school for something which you didn't need to work up at all, uh, wound recheck, suture removal, those count as 99281. So those are the kinds of things that you'd be doing. and, uh, and Example of a diagnosis like an uncomplicated insect bite that somebody comes in for, you'll build a level one. So, if someone comes
2: to the ER for an uncomplicated insect bite versus like the primary care doctor, mm-hmm.
0: you think it's a completely different yeah. payment. Yeah, uh, they use so, different codes. They don't oh. use a nine nine two eight one. They, I I don't even know the numbers, but it's. Uh, but they do have their, their sets of level 1, 2, through four, five. So the last digit, you'll see the same thing at, in a clinic visit, but it's a different number for the first four digits. So the payment is probably different? Than- yeah, the payment would be different. And then uh, the other part that I'm not talking about in this lecture, but. Uh, matters a lot in terms of uh, what a patient's builds for <laughs> is the facility fees. So th- this is just talking about the professional fees, that what, how we get paid as emergency physicians, <laughs> and not about the facility fees uh, for the use of the emergency department, the nursing part of it. So uh, 99282, Dr. Langdorff refers to this as diagnosis as a gl- at a glance. So you walk in the room and you can see from a whole distance that what the patient has, okay? It's low to moderate severity. Some examples of things that you would be doing on the patient is uh, just point-of-care tests, like an uh, like AccuCheck, uh, doing visual <laughs> acuity, doing clean-catch urine in the emergency department. Okay. Some examples of diagnoses that you typically bill for level two is like a person who has a sunburn, painless eye discharge, um, urinary frequency without fever, trauma without x-rays. Okay, And then um, starting with level three, four, five is what we typically see. So these are patients who have moderate uh, severity who do not require urgent intervention. So, things like you need to manage their prescription drugs, if you have to write a prescription for them, uh, that's not just a medication refill. If you have to do a single x-ray, that, those are things that can push you up to doing, uh, push up the chart to a, a patient to a level 3 visit. A patient who has a viral illness or a mild exacerbation of a chronic condition could fall into a level 3 visit. Going on with 99284, so these are high severity visits. In which it requires urgent evaluation but do not pose an immediate significant threat to life or physiologic <laughs> function. Okay? So typically, patients who are level four are people you do need to do uh, quite a bit of a workup but aren't usually admitted. Okay? So these are. Just guidelines, um, so things that you would do, so if you need to do two diagnostic tests, so labs and EKG, labs and x-ray, or you need to do more than one x-ray, so x-ray for multiple areas, you need to do cardiac monitoring, nebulizer treatment, IV medication, or do stuff like a pelvic exam or eye irrigation, those are typical of a level 4 visit. For diagnoses, if a person has blunt trauma but with limited diagnostic testing, so you're not doing a CT, you're like person fell, just do an x-ray of the arm since only the forearm hurts. Um, chest pain, if like a chest pain in a young person, you're thinking it's just musculoskeletal, you're not thinking about other things like PEACS, things like that. Those are what typically falls into level four visit. Level 5 visits are high severity, uh, so patients of high severity that pose an immediate significant threat to life or physiologic function, okay? So typically, you know, <coughs> uh, usually you need to, when you admit the patient, it's because you're concerned that if they're at home they're going to die or get very sick, so, uh, so most of the time, admissions are level 5 visits, okay? If you're doing a complex test like CT, MRI, or ultrasound, if you're doing three or more diagnostic tests, so labs, EKG, and x-ray, and something else. Blood transfusion, if you're giving O2 via uh, face mask or non-rebreather, if you do multiple nebulizer treatments, if you need to do um, procedures such as central line uh, LP, paracentesis. For psych patients, if they're suicidal and you need to put them under suicide watch, Okay? or a patient that you are concerned about that uh, even if it might be a simple problem, but something like anaphylaxis that you have to look at them repeatedly, go back and make sure that they're doing well. Or if you have, to, if you have a complex patient that you need to talk with multiple doctors, extensive conversations, they're level 5 visits. Okay? So an example of severe infections requiring antibiotics or a person that you're working up for PE is a level 5 visit.
2: But there still be a fairly sick patient that you do a, extensive work upon that is going home that's still level five?
0: Yes. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the patient's admitted for level five, but if they are admitted, usually it's a level five chart. Okay? Um, if you do, if you eventually discharge it, so a lot of our abdominal painters that we end up doing a CT scan, we would be billing level five because it's preparing for a complex radiological, uh, radiological imaging. Uh, and then the code nine nine two nine one is critical care. Okay, so this is so critical care is defined as a critical illness or injury that impairs one or more vital organ systems, such that there is high probability of imminent or life threatening deterioration in the patient's condition. Okay, so certain things that you would be doing for the patient uh, that would um, that you would typically bill for critical care are CPR, defibrillation. If you need to give uh, meds to control their blood pressure, BiPAP, if you deliver a baby, okay? Uh, So certain things that, um, certain diagnoses, multiple trauma, severe ultra-mental status that you would think about intubation, cardiac uh, respiratory arrest. If you need to do, um, uh, if there's a need for immediate surgery and you need to do a lot of interventions in the emergency department, uh, then uh, you would bill 99291. Okay so, about, like, <clears throat> or, like, so it really depends on uh, so for th- how I think about this is if it 's critical care that sucks up a lot of my time, okay, minutes, so. yeah, it has to be at least thirty minutes and uh, and i 'll go over later on what thirty minutes means, okay if it is something that 's a quick disposition, like a stemi activation on a person who's really stable e- if it 's under thirty minutes. If it's uh, it's usually a two, nine, 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 two, a level 5 visit, okay? 99285.
2: What about trauma activations? Because it
0: sets up a lot of like. So we do hours. bill a lot of uh, critical care for the it's trauma. A lot of it's like, yeah. like nothing. Yeah. But uh, even if we bill it, you the other thing about you about have it. to think about is what the insurance companies are willing to reimburse. So sometimes even uh, like we've had situations where we feel that with the resources that we needed, that we're billing for critical care, uh, the insurance companies would send back the bill and say, "No, we're un- only going to reimburse as a, a the chart as a level five chart." Yeah. So um, you know, a, a lot of times I don't put down in the check box with the you know lymphadenitis, you know, the second from the bottom on the set uh, on the physical, needs, mm-hmm. on the physical needs. So if you go ahead and do all this trauma activation sort of stuff, but you don't have ten or more systems documented, do they? So I'm going to go over that in a little bit, yeah, yeah. Okay, so along with the 99291 (laughs) critical care, it's a code that is bundled with other things. So there are certain things that you can't bill separately that with other kinds of uh, level visits, so level one through five, that you would be billing. So if you need to do BiPAP on a person who you did critical care, you can't bill it separately. If you're looking at a rhythm strip, uh, transcutaneous pacing, if you're placing the IV, this is not the nurse placing the IV. If you place the IV, you can't actually bill for it. But if it is, if you build in critical care, you can't uh, 99291. You can't put a separate code for this. But things that are not included under the 99291 code that you can bill separately is intubation, CPR, and as I and as I alluded to, 99291 is a code where you do you're doing critical care for 30 minutes or more. So time is. Um, uh, so it is, a, it is a code that has time counted into it. So if you're going to be billing separate for CP, uh, CPR, although it's kind of arbitrary, um, whatever time you're spending doing CPR cannot be double billed as the time that's used for critical care.
1: Andrew, what about um, what about if you attempt a procedure but fail it?
0: Like an LPS 400 pounder. You, you, a, you can still bill for it. If you made a good effort to do it, yeah, you can still bill for a failed attempt.
2: <laughs> the time, it's we
0: so if you did, if you spent, if you did CPR on a patient, but uh, like for 20 minutes, and otherwise outside of that, it was only five minutes worth of doing other things, then you can't count as critical care because it's <laughs> under 30 minutes of. And, uh, so. For example, if a patient was in the ER, this is just theoretical, in the ER for 30 minutes, you're doing CPR for 25 minutes, all the rest of the stuff that you're doing was only, f- uh, was only like four minutes and only 29 minutes. You can bill for CPR, but you can't bill for the critical care because it's under 30 minutes. But that's only theoretically speaking, because technically if you're doing that kind of patient with all the documentation, all the tests and stuff like that you're doing, you're probably going to be exceeding that amount of time and you'll be billing for p- critical care. And then, as I uh, talked about earlier, uh, observation codes are used on patients who you actually plan on observing the patient for a certain number of hours, uh, and needs to be you can bill for if it's uh, between six and twenty-four hours. However, it does vary for insurance companies how much, how many hours it needs to be before they can uh, they will reimburse you for it. Now let's change gears, let's talk about documentation, and this will answer some of your questions. Mm-hmm. So this is just a list of why it's important to document your things, so record your thought processes, record what you did for the patient, a reference for a medical providers, which include outpatient clinicians, inpatient care teams, consultants, or other ED physicians. It can be used in the court of law, and then uh, for this talk, it is used for billing. Okay. So this is a slide which you'll see again later, but I just wanted to show you to give you a framework before I go on with the rest of the lecture. So the most important part of the section in your documentation is medical decision making because based on the medical decision making, the biller is going to point out, uh, is going to look through it and basically total up the points. And when it gets up, and then what happens is with these three points, so it's um, They code it by diagnostic management options, the amount of data that you had to look at, the risk uh, that you're taking seeing this patient. They come up with three scores. The middle of the three uh, scores determines your evaluation management code. So it determines this, the level one through five visit, and then over here, then the biller looks at whether, if it was a level 3 visit, looks to make sure that on your history, you have one to three elements in the HPI, one element in the review systems, two to four um, systems examined in the uh, physical exam. Okay, So that's how it's done. So let's go over the uh, requirements uh, of each of the um, of the charts. So, the history of present illness. Just remember, the number of elements needed, so level 1 through uh, 3 charts need 1 to 3 elements. Level 4, level 5 charts need at least uh, 4 elements. These mean not just the number of sentences, so 4 sentences doesn't do it, okay? It needs to be the elements, okay? That's why you specifically see boxes in our charts that help us and helps the biller be able to recognize quickly uh, how many elements you have in the chart. Can I do
2: that with one sentence, though? year old You can, with, yeah. and and
0: sometimes yeah. I like it when I do my dictations to basically do it in that bottom narrative part to basically just say it all, like this person presented with nine out of ten chest pressure, located on the right side, radiating up into the jaw, and uh, for three hours. There you have four elements in one sentence. Okay, but this is just to help you out. Okay. The next part is a uh, past medical surgical history, social history, family history. So with a level 1 to 3 visit, you don't need to mention anything about it. For a level 4 visit, you need to mention one of these elements. And for a level 5 visit, you need to mention at least two of these elements.
2: And by
1: clicking none, that means you Yes. Okay,
0: that counts. Yeah, <coughs> So if you, uh, so it's meant that you need to review it, and you should document as such. Okay, so like family history. You're, I mean, you, you need to mention patient has no, uh, no family history of ACS, okay? Or the family, uh, family history was reviewed and non-contributory to the chief complaint. Are
2: medical and surgical histories different or the same
0: thing? Uh, they're kind of separately. Oh. Yeah. So, um, so, review of systems. So, 99281 uh, does not require review of systems. Um, Level two, level three charts require one uh, system reviewed. Level four requires anywhere between two and nine. And then level five is it requires ten uh, systems to be reviewed. So as I alluded to on that slide showing that chart, the medical decision making is the most important because what happens is the biller scores the chart based on the medical decision making and as I said, the three scores are based on number of diagnosis and management options, that's why we tell you to write down the, the differential diagnosis, the amount and complexity of the data and the risk, okay? And three scores are determined by that and then the biller throws out the highest and lowest score and what they're left for remains is, uh, is the evaluation management code.
1: What about
0: the physical? Sorry?
1: What about the physical? Physical, physical exam. exam. So what happens
0: is this is the medical decision making. It determines that you say, for example, uh, based on the three scores, all of them are level five, so it's a level five chart. Then they go through each of the chart and look at the physical exam. And they're like, okay, did they reveal, uh, review eight systems on the, uh, on the um, Physical exam, and if you didn 't review eight systems, they can either ask you to correct the chart if you did s- review it or if you didn 't review it, then they 're going to downcode it and it may be a level four chart just the fact you uh, you didn't review <coughs> the um, sorry i off the top of my head the physical exam shoot i didn 't put it down so anyways it for a level four and five chart, it requires eight systems to but be reviewed.
1: This, there's just a couple of specifics, isn't there? Like you have to say no hepatosplenomegaly?
0: No, it just requires that it needs to be needs to be reviewed. Okay, it needs to have been reviewed. So uh, sometimes you can get away with saying cardiac exam normal. Because I just okay.
1: I, like recently did training to work at Kaiser, and yeah. The guy that trained me. Help me build a default level 5 and level 4. Apparently, he was saying to build level 5, you, you have to actually say no
2: hepatosplenomegaly. What? No, if you don't, you don't
0: need, need to. No no, 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 you just have to have elements in the abdominal exam. Okay? Um, so, as I said, uh, in terms of the um, the point system, first is uh, the w- one of the points um, that you get is the diagnostic and management options. So if it's a, so usually in the emergency department, it's usually a new problem. So it's a new problem with no additional workup plan. It can be a three points given or a new problem with additional workup plan. And as you can see, for a level five chart, it's four or more points. And then the second element, uh, second score that you can uh, that is looked at is the mountain complexity of the data. So this is why it's important to put in your chart in terms of what you guys did. Okay. Let's go back. One yeah. Um, so if you what if you have acute or chronic renal failure, so that's a new problem, possibly pre renal. Yeah. Problem. So just remember that it's the middle uh, the middle score. Okay. So if it's sometimes if it's an established problem worse, it's only two points. Okay, but it may be some other section, like the diagnostic management part, which you did an extensive workup and things like that, that uh, make it qualify as a level five chart. So, as a, so, what I was alluding to here. As um, the amount and complexity of the data, so say a person who has acute on chronic renal failure, you're doing labs to make sure that the person has no uh, hyperkalemia, you're doing EKG, making sure there's no arrhythmia, uh, doing chest x-rays, seeing if they had any fluid overload, so as you can see, you do an x-ray, you're doing a uh, lab test, so 1.1 point, you're doing, um, uh, so the other thing is, if you obtain old medical records, if you actually reviewed over the old records and summarized it, they give points for those things. And if you have four or more points, it qualifies as a level five chart. Okay. So there are different ways to make the chart qualifies as a level five chart. So it doesn't necessarily mean that just because that chief complaint was as such, but you had to go through an extensive workup that can't equal a level five chart. And then the level f- uh, level of risk here. So. Uh, There are elements of the level of risk, so if the problem is something that's low or high risk, the kind of procedures that you're going to be doing, what management options you selected, there's a certain amount of risk. And so, minimal risk is level 1, low risk is level 2, moderate is level 3 and 4, and then high risk is level 5. So going back to this thing here. so the table, as I said, so those, so that's the point system I was referring to in the last three slides. That you determine what level chart is, and then afterwards you go through that and seeing uh, what elements that you are required to have in order to build a certain level. So as I said, for physical exam, in order to build a level five, you need to review eight systems or more. Okay, and so suppose out of the medical decision making, you evaluate a patient and qualifies for a level 5 chart, and you go across and you only reviewed seven systems, and then the, what the biller can only do is to downcode it to level 4. Okay? Now, for legitimate reasons, if you can't fulfill all the elements, you should state why. Okay. So suppose a person came from the nursing home, nonverbal. You had to do an extensive workup on the person, but you couldn't get the four elements in the HPI. You know, the person's not speaking to you and you can't talk to anybody about it. You need to document so and you can get away with not having four elements in the HPI. So, make sure to say patient was demented, patient was obtunded, patient was in full cardiac arrest. Then can, that can, uh, that's sort of like your jail-free card. Now, for critical care so you're like, we talked about a lot about critical care, and you're like, why isn't it on the table? It's because there's no specific documentation requirements, okay? But it needs to meet the critical criteria in which the person has a high probability of deterioration. Now, just remember that the billers are just looking at your piece of paper. They weren't following you around in the ER. So you need to make sure on your chart that you kind of build up a, a you know, Tell a story to the biller that this patient was here for critical care, okay? So um, things that you say like, you know, patient needed to be intubated immediately and things like that would kind of uh, signify to the biller that this is something with, um, that needed critical care, okay? Now, as I said, there's a time requirement for a minimum of 30 minutes, okay? So if you take care of a patient and it didn't fulfill 30 minutes, you're going to have to build a level 5 chart instead. Okay now the time that counts include bedside care, okay, reviewing ancillary studies, reviewing x-rays labs and things like that, discussing stuff with family, EMS, nursing, physicians related to care, uh, the charting, and then the bundled procedures okay so as you can see, thirty minutes can even if you might have been at the bedside for like 15 minutes. If you spent time to look through the labs, trying to figure out what to do with the patient, discussing stuff with consultants, that can easily add up to over 30 minutes, and you can bill for critical care. Now, one thing is that sometimes insurance companies, like we talked about traumas, they basically reject the chart and say, no, we're not going to reimburse for, uh, for critical care. Just the reason why, even for critical care patients, we basically chart out a Level five chart is just because if they come back to you and say, you know, the, we can't uh, we can't pay you for critical care, you're going to have to downcode this chart. If you only downcode two, if you only chart two elements on the chart, then next you're left with is a nine nine two a level one chart, and you don't want to be ever left with that. Okay, so just remember that the documentation for critical care is still important. Even if there's no requirement for the number of elements, just think of it as, you know, especially you want to get paid for the work that you do. So, um, uh, so summarize, uh, you know, chart stuff so that uh, it would equal a level 5 chart. Now, last part, which is like a little bit of an aside, not quite having to do with billing, uh, with the amount of money you're going to get, is the diagnosis that you're going to write. Okay? Just because we are talking about documentation, I thought I needed to add this slide in. So the diagnosis determines the ICD-9 code. Okay? So, the I, so basically it's, uh, the ICD-9 code is a number given for a particular diagnosis. And what happens is if you look at the form that the biller sends, they say this is a 99285. Right next to it, they need to put down the ICD-9 code. So you had to have, uh, you know, seen the patient for a certain reason, uh, and that's why you have to have this ICD-9 code with the uh, with the ENM code that you had put in. Okay. Now it can be also used as a claim audit tool. Okay. So uh, some red flags may come up if a person just had a stub toe and it was just a bruise, and you critical care for that okay so even though if it you know even though if the ICE9 code doesn't necessarily reflect the amount that's reimbursed don't be billing you know uh, improperly because it may raise some red flags now for the diagnosis don't use probable don't use possible don't use rule out don't use versus okay a lot of times uh, I mean you're probably thinking, well, there's this chest pain person. It <laughs> could have been PE. could have been musculoskeletal chest pain, versus, versus, versus. But um, if yeah. you have a kind yes. of patient who is diff- undifferentiated after the visit, you've ruled out ACS. You've ruled out uh, PE. But you know you, you can't really, some, most cases, you can't really diagnose musculoskeletal pain. You just put down diagnosis of chest pain. Yeah.
1: But in your medical decision making, it's not... May not be great, but you can use the versus. Yes,
0: okay. yes. The medical decision making, you're using the verses to explain what differential diagnosis you're considering, but in the diagnosis, you can't put use the verses. Okay? I put
2: a couple of things about like writing specific diagnoses. So Dr. McCoy always says, like if they have belly pain, just write belly pain, even if you think it's gastritis. Dr. Mervis told me that for billing purposes, you get paid more if you actually have a definitive diagnosis like gastritis. Mm, so no. Growing,
0: growing no, you don't get. I And if you don't know it's gastritis, don't put down gastritis. Just put down abdominal pain, and it will not affect, it shouldn't, it doesn't affect billing. Okay. Um, there, there's a caveat to that, that. With inpatient visits, the diagnosis <coughs> matters. <coughs> it's just because for the facility billing, so not the professional fee, for facility billing, each diagnosis is associated with a diagnostic-related, a DRG, diagnostic-related uh, group. Okay, And basically, diagnostic-related group is basically the customary charges that you would charge for a person, say, for a chest pain workup or for a person who has uh, a triple A. You have a certain amount of payment, and in that regard, the diagnosis does matter because it makes it fall into a certain diagnostic group, uh, a certain DRG, which in turn determines the facility payment.
2: If you list more data... does that have any benefit? Like, you hit by a car, your chest hurts, your leg hurts, your belly hurts, everything hurts. But really, it's all muscle, skeletal, but you complain about
0: chest pain, belly pain, leg pain. Don't write, cue chest pain, cue, belly pain, cue. Uh, so as I said, with the diagnosis, the more diagnosis it's based on, it's, uh, it determines the DRG. Oh, okay. okay? All right. Definitely, these things like you know the person's pa- uh, past medical history that makes such as a person who comes in with a fever and is high risk with a, uh, with like has a history of HIV. That's not what you're going to be putting in the diagnosis part. That's what you're going to be putting in the medical decision making to kind of verify that you're taking care of this high risk patient, and that's why you justify that this is a level five patient. Okay. Now, uh, the last thing I wanted to say was that you should be as specific as possible, okay? so don't pull things out of a hat, but if you have a specific diagnosis such as you know, if a person has a broken radius, okay, make sure to say the right or left radius. Okay, And the reason being is that it doesn't quite so matter right now with the ICD-9 codes, but when they're coming, the ICD-10 is going to require a lot more modifiers, so it will require what phase of care, so if it was an initial visit for it, if it was a subsequent visit of it, if it was a visit as a result of something else, if it was left or right or bilateral, and then where exactly it was, that's going to matter in terms of when we transition to ICD-9. Sorry, transition to ICD ten. Do you guys have any questions? If
1: you try to reduce
2: your shoulder and you're not successful, and you know you're not successful, you you can't build for
0: that way. No, if you spent the time to do it, you made a good effort at it. Yes, you can build for it. Takes like three times. Can you build the you bill for <laughs> to Spend more time on the bedside. It depends on uh, it depends on uh, what you. So there are certain things that you can bill for more than one time. There are certain things that you can't. I don't. I think if it's a different episode of the visit and you had done this uh, reduction, you could. But I think in the same visit, you can't. But for example, something that you can bill for every time that you do it is an EKG. Okay, each time you read an EKG, you can in the same visit you can bill for another EKG. Yeah.
1: You have any idea what the sort of median point is in sort of community settings for average RVU per
0: hour? Um I don't have that I don't have the information in terms of average RVU per hour. Um, I can probably look it up and get back to you on that. Okay. Have, yeah. Any other questions? All right, thanks.